Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. Hey everyone, it's Brittany, and today we're going to be talking about trust. Obviously, you know the name of the show is called The No Like and Trust Show, but I've never done a deep dive into just one of those elements at a time in the way that I'm going to be doing today. Today's guest is Stace Caseria, and he is an expert on trust. His business is called The Trust Deep Agency, and he is guiding us through this. I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. But first, I have a review I'd like to read to you from Style Storing. They say, if you are looking for real and relevant content, this is it. Look no further. Binge listening all the episodes. So thank you so much for that. I very much appreciate the compliments. That is the goal of the show. It is always to give you real and relevant content. And Stace is going to deliver that in this episode, talking about the four ways we build trust. On a related note, I am opening up the waitlist to the content lab right now. You can get yourself on the waitlist at brittanygardner.com forward slash waitlist. What does the waitlist entail? One, you get my guide, the three kinds of content you want to focus on, yes, to build trust, which we'll be talking about today, but also the kinds of content that are actually going to drive action decisions. People who aren't just hanging around, taking in your free content, but will actually pull the trigger and decide yes or no, I'm going to work with you. That's part of the gift of joining the waitlist. Also, you'll get first dibs at joining Content Lab itself. And if you're a founding member, that will save you $100 a month. So if you are on the fence about it, thinking about it, I highly recommend joining the waitlist now so you do get first dibs at one of the spots. There will be a capped number of people in this Accountability Meets Mastermind group. All right, we're going to be moving on to the show. Stace Caseria creates deeper connections between businesses and people built on the most solid foundation there is, trust. He does this by helping global brands and startup businesses define and articulate their core values and differentiators. As an award-winning writer with 20 years of experience, he's created communication content and strategy for brands like Bose, Delta Airlines, Panasonic, Veil Resorts, Realty Mogul, and others. He was inspired to launch Trust Deep Branding when he heard that only 37% of U.S. customers trust most of the brands they currently buy. All right, on to our interview. I can't wait for you guys to enjoy this discussion. We have some fun back and forth, a little disagreement part of the way through. And ultimately, I think you guys are really going to benefit from our discussion on what it means to build trust for your business. All right, Stace, welcome to the No Like and Trust Show. Hi, Brittany. Thank you. It's great to be here, and I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, so I'm actually really excited to dive into this conversation with you because I've been running the No Like and Trust Show podcast since 2016 and you know we've we've done many episodes, but I've never actually done a specific deep dive into just one of the pieces of that phrase, no like and trust. So to our audience, we're going to be talking about trust today and you obviously place a very large value on trust as well. It is the name of your agency, Trusty Branding, right? So How did you come to that? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's trust is such a complex topic. We could we could spend spend hours talking about it to answer your question. I'm a writer by trade and I have more than 20 years of experience in branding and advertising. And I've worked for global brands like Bose and Panasonic, Delta Airlines, Vail Resorts and others. 
And a long, long time ago, I got my start as a writer at Mad Magazine, if anybody remembers Mad Magazine from way back when. But as a writer, I'm incredibly interested in people, how they think, what they feel, their decision-making process. But in my work, I've found that there are brand experts and marketers, and we ask tons of questions about consumers. But I think there are some critical ones that we've been either taking for granted or avoiding for a long time, because the, getting to the answer might just be too difficult. And one of those things is the concept of trust. I mean, so we, we know the phrase, know, like, and trust, but do we ask ourselves how trust is actually created? And are we going about it the right way? Can we build long-term trust? Can we make ourselves seem trustworthy? So that's the philosophy behind my new agency, Trust Deep. I mean, we focus on the factors that help businesses and brand leaders become more trustworthy. So like you said, we, we place a huge emphasis on trust between brands and people. And we're always trying to find new ways to give clients a competitive advantage using trust. So I love one of the things that you said in there specifically, not that the rest, you know, doesn't bear mentioning, of course, but I love what you said that, you know, trust is one of those things that a lot of people and businesses are unintentionally avoiding because it just seems like it's difficult to do. And I don't actually think it's that difficult per se. Are there some steps that you have to take? Yes. Do you have to work for it? Absolutely. But I personally am of the belief that all good things in life require a little bit of effort. If it's if it's too easy, we aren't going to value it. So I know that you place a similar value on it, but how do you go about creating trust, especially if it is something that a lot of people are avoiding? Like, How do we break it down to make it easier for them? So there are several components to trust. And when we talk about trust, we can't make anybody trust us. We can't make anybody trust a brand. It's it's not like, so the the no part of the equation, no, like, and trust, it's easy to make somebody know you because you, you stand in front of them, you tell them your name, you introduce, you put your hand out, and it's like, hey, now you know who I am. But But trust is something that has to happen on the other person's part. But what we can do is appear trustworthy. And, and one of the things that I, I want to emphasize is that we never advocate smoke and mirrors to gain trust. You know, that might result in a sale, a quick sale, but it's a one-time sale. And it's going to build bad reviews and, and bad karma down the road. So we advocate building true trustworthiness and we have a formula. It begins with credibility. You add track record to it. You add this thing we call caring or human caring and then alignment of interests. And those things together create trustworthiness. And, and like you're saying, some of them are not hard, um, just being human, pretty easy. Um, but some of them do take a while. Like So like track record is the, the one thing that takes a while, whereas the other ones, credibility, caring, alignment of interests just come from being who you are or a brand being what it is. So one of the things that I love that you said there is, you know, caring, right? Because theoretically, caring should be pretty easy to do. But I, I find personally that a lot of my clients, at least, they are very caring people, but they struggle with showing that in a brand setting. And I don't know what it is about, about us as business owners. You know, maybe it's that vulnerability piece. Maybe it's something else. But why is it that you chose to mention caring? You said it right there, the V word. Vulnerability is is huge in brands becoming more human or seeming human. So you can't have trust between two people or two parties if there's um, a different level of power. So a lot of times, I, I know you, you work for yourself, but I'm, I bet you've worked for somebody in the past and you've seen an organization where a leader or a manager might have 
all the power and very little trust of the people that he or she is is managing. You can't have trust unless there's some equilibrium in power. So every time I go to trust somebody or put my safety in their their hands, I am being vulnerable. And you can't have trust unless that other person shows some vulnerability back to me. So if, if one person has all the control, there's going to be very little trust. I think that's one of the reasons that brands have trouble showing up as human and showing up as, as caring. Like you're saying, like, so there might be a brand manager, most human caring person, you know, but then when it translates into their business or the way they choose to execute or lead their brand, that caring does not come across. It is more difficult, obviously, for a brand to show emotion, the same emotion that you or I would show. But we see examples of, of fantastic brands that do it. And we see examples of brands that it's obvious that they are large, nameless, faceless organizations. You know, caring is an important part. But there's this other thing called uh, courage. It, it takes courage and curiosity to sort of step out of what you're doing right now and say, hey, are we doing the right thing? Can I do more? And we offering you the right thing as a brand. Is there something else we should be doing? We have to listen to you now. Oh, wow. So that those are things that put a brand at risk. And some brands that are, you know, maybe focused on a quarterly number or bottom line aren't willing to do that just yet. And I think that's absolutely right. You know, it does take courage to really put yourself out there. I, I talk about it with putting out what I call authority opinions, right? So to do that, you have to find something that you are willing to take on. And often it's going to be something that other people in your field or your niche are not willing to take on. And that does require courage. It doesn't even matter if you're 100% passionate about it. It still requires courage to actually put it out there and... I feel like there's a lot of trust that can be gained when you do something like that. It can help gain trust from a certain segment of the market faster. But a lot of business owners look at that and say, but what about all the people who won't agree with me? What about all the people for whom this will not build trust? So what would you say to those people who are kind of struggling on that precipice? Yeah. So you mentioned it there about speed, talking about how trust can increase the speed of things. And if we can talk about decisions, if I, I would say to those business owners or those brand leaders, what trust does for them, and it, it's, it's going to be a risk at first for them. Once they get familiar with the concept, it's going to be second nature and they'll, they'll go with it and they'll see the results of it. But trust is able to help people speed up the decisions that they make. And if you're a brand that's trying to get somebody to try your product for the first time, you want to build that trust. It has to happen in that, the first few seconds. And there's the, the reason is we all make hundreds of decisions every day. Some of them made consciously, some unconsciously, but each of those decisions takes a certain quantity of mental energy and time. And you and I both know there's only a certain amount of each of those that we have in the day. But if you're hoping for customers to choose you, you have to make that decision-making process as smooth and quick as possible. And again, just to be clear, not advocating smoke and mirrors. We want to build trustworthy brands. That's another thing. And that might be like a whole other topic that we talk about someday. But it's like when we talk about trust, and I know this when I when I bring up the topic of trust and like, oh, what's your agency about? And I talk about trust, like people pull back a little because it's a it's sort of like a weird thing that we don't talk about openly, you know? So it's it's like it's like if you were to sit down and start talking to somebody about like, hey, tell me about love. Like, what do you think about love? I mean, it's just like you're like, wow, we're going deep here, man. <laughs> It's a it's a difficult topic to just jump into. There's like talking about decisions like there's we want to make 
positive environment for consumers to make purchase decisions and, and trust speeds up that ability to make those decisions and it increases our ability to make them more confidently so you can avoid second guessing yourself. The last thing a brand wants to do is be associated with buyer's remorse. Even if it had no fault of the brand itself, the next time somebody asks that consumer like, hey, what do you think about ABC brand? In their mind, they have this negative connotation. So what we want to do is create trust in a way that's going to allow them to make smooth decisions without them having to second guess themselves. There's this term that I refer to, it's called decision friction. Decision friction is that hesitation that you or I feel like whenever we're making a decision. And I was gonna ask you like, think about the last purchase you made on Amazon. Were you comparing two products or multiple products or like did you just go in and you knew the thing you wanted and you, and you hit the buy button? I mean, personally, the last time I bought something, I, I knew what, exactly what I was getting and I went and hit purchase and that was that. So you had trust or track record or credibility. You believed in that brand in some way. They, they had some sort of um, trustworthiness that they were exuding. Or maybe you've used them in the past. Or maybe it was like such an inconsequential decision. But either way, when we go to make those decisions, you know, we're like weighing. Generally, we, we weigh the details. We're comparing things. We look at reviews. We look at the most helpful negative reviews. Because decision making, it's, it's complex. And, you know, there are a ton of variables that we have to weigh and each one creates this micro decision in our mind. And the greater the risk or the war, the more involved the process is. And the thing that you bought, you've already made the decision to buy it. So like you've made this like preset in your mind of like a safe outcome. So you don't have to weigh that anymore. But sometimes we agonize over decisions. And sometimes that decision friction is just like a speed bump in the process. And maybe you didn't even feel it, but but it, it's there in, in most decisions. You know, I read something on Facebook earlier this morning. So it was from somebody I knew from a former business. And uh, she's also, I would say, I guess, in and around the fringes of marketing, if you want to call it that. But something that she wrote, I think, ties in really well here. And she said that you can have the best copywriting, you can have the most incredible offer, you can put everything together perfectly. And that landing page will still only convert at about 10%. You might get a you know couple plus or minus percentage points, but a truly excellent landing page typically converts at 10%. So that means that nine out of every 10 people who happen upon it don't overcome that decision friction, even if all the odds are stacked in your favor, right? And I think you know your your Amazon example can go a bunch of different ways, but that story, that case study, if you want to call it, that I read this morning, I was like, oh, that's a really good point. You know, you're you're putting all this effort into something. And if you don't build that trust right at the get-go, you're not even going to hit that 10%. You're not going to come even close. You might not even hit 1% because that decision friction can be huge online in particular. That's right. That's, that's a fantastic example. So something for that 10% like the way that that site hit them when they rolled into it, you know, removed that anxiety over the the risk that they that they perceive. So when we're able to remove that risk, we're able to worry less about that decision and we free up our mental energy. And so, like I said, we only have like a limited capacity of that at any given time. We're able to think about the benefits of the decision and then we can move toward that purchase or, or choosing to trust that person. When we're, when we're thinking about the benefits, we're progressing toward a solution that advances our aim. It's like any aim, like you're hiring a new employee or investing your money or buying new furniture. 
But when we spot risks, like maybe the the 90% of the people who landed on that landing page, when you spot risks, you're halting that progress. And this isn't to say that like spotting risks is bad. In fact, it's vital to our financial, emotional, physical survival. But when we're able to find benefits and identify and focus on those, it helps us rely on solutions and come to trust people. And that helps us achieve our goals. So I'm curious about the 90% there or the 10% and how that case study worked and what, what type of product it was. But for, for any business, it's a, it's a reality that um, consumers are going to face decision friction you know, from, from time to time. They might experience that the first time, the second time, the third time they're buying your product because at, at that point, they're not buying into your brand. They're just buying a product. It's still a transactional relationship. So, so I, that's why I'd be curious to know, like the, the 10% of people, are we talking like people who are past customers? Do they know something about the brand? Yeah, it was uh, more or less cold traffic. So definitely not knowing the brand, not knowing the product history. I would assume that those stats are for cold traffic only. Interesting. That's fantastic. So one of the great benefits of going through the the process of, of building trust is that you allow people to take ownership of your brand. Yeah, consumers can feel like they're part of the brand. And it, and it happens in... A, a way that so one time they trust they excuse me they try your product and you know they try it a second time and a third time and so at, at that point you know they come to trust your brand whether it's amazon or starbucks or apple or honda or anything like that it becomes their brand of choice in that category and uh, they make it part of their routine and so you're not buying a car every day but you're buying coffee every day and you're buying electronics regularly so it becomes part of your routine and so you start to identify as a member of that that brand's community, you're one of their customers, you know, this gives the brand life way beyond its product or service. And so you end up being in a relationship with that brand, whatever it is in that category with Starbucks or Apple or, or, or whatever it is. And that gives brands incredible power because first of all, the decision friction is gone. I no longer have to weigh the, the choices when I'm in that category and I'm, and I'm shopping, I just, I know what my brand is and I make that choice. But even better than that is that I'm going to become an advocate, a loyal advocate for that brand. So not only will I make that choice, I'm going to encourage my friends to make that choice, the people in my community, because I like them. And there's this thing that I trust and I think it's really awesome. And I want you guys to be just as happy as I am. So I'm going to talk about that thing. So one of the things I heard you say there is that, you know, people go from a trier of your product to a believer in your product. And and I know that that process can feel like it's overwhelming, but we all know that friend, right? That friend who's like, oh my gosh, you have to try this. My, my husband's one of those people. Like he finds something that he loves and everyone in his life must know about that thing, whether it's a new restaurant that's really good or whether it's, you know, some extra thing you can buy for your car to make something more efficient. It's always about sharing that knowledge wealth. And it's because they get really excited about the product and therefore the brand. Yeah, that's awesome. So he, he gets excited about that. And he sees that it brings benefit or joy or happiness or some forward motion to to his life. And he wants to he wants to give that to other people. He is a truster. So he, he comes to trust those brands so deeply that he's going to like stake his relationship with his wife or his neighbor or his, his, his coworkers on that product. So that's like a huge amount of trust. So it's like, 
he's not only trusting it for himself, but he's becoming vulnerable to that other person saying, hey, take this chance, take not a chance, but like, you know, buy this product. I stand behind it. It's awesome. Take my word for it. So there's like multiple levels of trust happening there. But if you get people to do that for your brand, you're, you're killing it. That, that's the, the goal is to get people to do your marketing for you through genuine, either awesome product or service or brand experience or a combination of those three. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, if you can get people to do that for you, you can invest your resources, both time and money in developing other things and developing more people like that. And your marketing takes on a whole different level. That's right. You go from being a commodity to a brand. When people see an actual distinction between choosing you or choosing this other thing and they will, they, they choose you time and time again, you are a brand. And, you know, brand is like, it's on 24 seven. It's doing the, your job for you, whether you're there or not, whether you're actively, whether you're in a media buy or not, whether you're, you know, promoting something or not, the brand is always at work. A lot of companies can feel like it's not worth the effort to go through this process of developing trust. What do you say to that? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a common thing people might say is that trust takes too long. Um, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and he works in like the financial sector and just talking about this topic because, you know, I, I'm passionate about branding and trust and everything I do. So, you know, I, I cornered him and I was talking to him um, about this topic and he's like, no, trust takes too long. And I'm thinking, wow, somebody in your field should absolutely know that <laughs> you've got to lay that groundwork. But, you know, so the reality is, is that some aspects of trust take a long time. And like we said before, there are like four components that we see to trustworthiness, credibility, track record, caring and alignment of interests. Track record absolutely takes time. You can't rush that. But credibility, caring, alignment of interest, those things can happen rather quickly. But people here, and, I, and I've read this myself, and I'm, I'd love to get your take on it, but I've heard that like it takes two plus years to establish trust with a consumer for a brand. And that's a, a long time. Maybe like some people say five years. And I'm like, well, it really depends on the product and circumstances, like the competitors, like it makes, depends on me personally, but that's a long time. I think some brands have like been created and, and, and rose to prominence and like died out in two years. You know, there are certain things that have a quick, quick trajectory, but there are components of trust that that happen quickly. And, and people might say that's still taking too much effort. Well, then I, I don't know what you stand for. Then if, if somebody's saying, you know what, for us to, for us to go through the, the effort, you know, to make people feel comfortable engaging with our product or buying our brand or buying, buying our service, it's like, I don't know if they if they have empathy. I don't know if they have an, an alignment of interest. It's like those things need to be established ahead of time. And like, you know, Simon Sinek always talks about like finding your why. And I, I think like I love that. But I think find someone else's why. Find their why. And if and if it doesn't correlate with yours, then they're not your customer. Because everybody can't be your customer. And not every brand is for every person. But caring should be part of just like waking up and like breathing and like the people who run a business should be infusing that into their brand every single day. And that, that doesn't take extra effort. It just like it, it requires just making some choices. Um, and, and we see that all the time with brands that like make the right choice and those that, that go down the path of expediency for themselves. And it, it becomes very obvious. But like things like credibility, credibility is just knowing your stuff, like talking in a way that is believable. So if somebody goes to your website 
and let's say it's hiking shoes that they're looking at and you you can't accurately describe or honestly describe how the shoe works or how it how it's made or what what people use it for i mean if you're like shrugging your shoulders there's you don't have credibility but if if you've gone down the path to like start this brand and create this product you should have credibility in that you should absolutely know how it works and why people choose it to me that that takes zero effort and if you're and if it's too much effort then like why are you doing that that you should be doing something completely different i totally agree yeah i mean i know you had some really good points there i I love to look at some brands and how they handle different aspects of that. And I've personally never heard it broken down and, you know, credibility, caring, alignment, and, you know, the track record. I love those four categories. But if you think about any name, household name brand, and um, for me, Nike pops up to mind because it's basically in my backyard. I drive past it quite frequently. And, you know, I, I, I look at some of the things that people I know who work for Nike say, and, you know... Some of them can be a drag a bit in their day-to-day life. So for example, a Nike employee cannot use a competitor's product. It is a fireable offense. And you're like, whoa, you know, power trip much? And as a as a layperson, maybe that's your reaction. So case in point, my my neighbor, I have two neighbors that that work for Nike, and we were sitting outside watching our kids run around the neighborhood at one point. And we decided to, you know, do a Postmates order because no one felt like cooking, right? So I pull out my phone and I have one of those phone case card wallets that has, you know, three cards in the back. It's made by Under Armour. And, you know, one of my friends was like, oh my gosh, I need a case like that. What brand is it? And I was like, oh, here it is. And I honestly didn't even remember the brand name. It's Under Armour, but that is a Nike competitor. She looks at it, she's like, oh, of course, I can't have it. And you look at that from a you know, anecdotal point of view. And you're like, why would you not be able to use the product that serves your needs? But the reality is Nike knows that if their employees are not walking the Nike walk and somebody knows, oh, well, that's a Nike employee and they're using an Under Armour product or an Adidas product or whatever the brand might be, it doesn't look good for them. It doesn't look good for their values. And I love that story because for people who don't understand the deep trust that a really great brand instills and creates, they just don't get that story. But for people who are working at creating that level of trust within their own business, creating that kind of brand awareness that leads to that trust, it's a light bulb moment. Wow. So that's that's really interesting. So in order to create trust with your customers, you have to first have it with your employees. And I'm I'm going to, and I'm not sure if I'm disagreeing or agreeing with you here, I think that Nike is, like you said, power trip. And I, I think Nike is not completely aligned with the interests of their employees because I totally get us having to support the brand. But unless those things are made available for me, either at a discount or if, like, let's say Nike doesn't have that um, cell phone case. I mean, should this woman go without that thing, this and it could be argued whether it's trivial or not, but should that woman go without it because Nike doesn't offer it? I think that's Nike being inhuman. Interesting. I, th- I think that's Nike. So like, I think they're absolutely like, first of all, this woman's sitting in someone's backyard in your backyard and you guys are, 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 are watching your kids run around. I mean, this isn't a, a, a corporate event. This isn't, it's, it's not like she was seen, like the spokesman for Nike and she's seen like on a, 
on a news broadcast wearing an Under Armour fleece. It's not. It, I think I think there's a, some nuance here. So I think the the brand doesn't trust its employees enough to say, hey, you can buy this other thing from a different product, but still have brand loyalty to us because. I think a lot of us have brand loyalty and we may use another brand, a competing brand from time to time or see it at someone's house and admire it. I don't think that means that we're disloyal. I understand there's a different level of loyalty when you're uh, uh, an employee of a, a company like Nike. But I would say, wow, <laughs> turn it down a little, Nike. Yeah, you know, it's definitely something that you can see from both points of view. I think for Nike corporate, it's probably more a question of we have to draw a hard line somewhere or people will just push and push. But you're right. That means that they don't trust their employees to put out a good image. Right. You know, for a long time, I worked on Delta Airlines brand and the agency that I was working for, when you were flying down to Atlanta for a meeting, you had to fly on Delta. And that was like, well, obviously, I think there was a rule that like if there wasn't a flight at that time or if, there, if it was overbooked or you couldn't get a flight on it. You could get on a different airline to make your meeting. I think they wouldn't say, sorry, uh, try Amtrak. I mean, they, they, they didn't say you're, you're out of luck. And this was coming down from, from New York. So, I mean, it's like, you know, obviously you needed to take a plane. But that Nike, that's, a, that's an interesting example because they, they have to maintain that loyalty within their employee ranks. I, I get that. There has to be reciprocity. There has to be trust on like both ways, though. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's 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 examples of all of this kind of things, I'm sure, throughout corporate America and whatnot. But, uh, you know, my, most of our audience here, obviously, is is not the size of a company of Nike or Pepsi or anything related to that. But I think the trickle down lessons can inform our idea of what it means to build trust. Oh, absolutely. So looking at the Nike example, I would say people who are starting a business or maybe they have a, a small brand or they're a brand manager at a, at a smaller company, I would say, look at the situation a little bit more holistically and absolutely understand that you need to create brand loyalty within the ranks, but you also have to be human. It's going to be hard to generate employee loyalty without being human. So that, that employee who mentioned this to you, she wasn't advocating it like a badge of honor. She's like, this is so awesome that Nike feels this strongly. She felt it as a pain point, right? In this particular circumstance, yeah. There's plenty others where it wouldn't be the case. Right. Okay. But I would I would advocate to brands looking at that as an example. I, I would say there are things that they can absolutely learn. Some of them are, are positive and just then there are things that are, you know, personal preference. Like are you is, is that where you're going to hold your employees to? And if so, you know, you make the case for that. And I'm, I'm sure you can absolutely make the case for it, it being like ironclad. I want brands to be human, a little bit more human. And I want us to see the humanity in things. And that's one of the reasons that I, I love the, the work that we do is that, is that we have the ability to turn an organization that might be, you know, seem cold. We can turn it into um, a, a human. We can we can give it human characteristics. We can make it listen to people. We can we can encourage it to have empathy. Those are the things that I am encouraged about when I sit down to do work here. And I, and I think about how brands relate to people emotionally, whether it's the customers or their employees. You know, our decisions are made emotionally, like in the ration and logic um, is like those things only confirm the decisions we make. So like we're emotional creatures, you know, and I want brands to operate as emotional creatures too and recognize the science that says yeah this is where our decisions are made or this is how decisions are made they're not made 
by details and specs and, and things like that. It's, it's made by um, how something makes us feel. Um, and if and if that that instance with Nike makes that woman feel closer to her brand or her employer, I think then and I'm, I'm starting to see the light there, you know, like more power to Nike if, if they can create that stronger sense of family with that role. Yeah, I really enjoyed this discussion. So thank you for that. And do you have any closing statements before we kind of wrap this up? I love your show. That's what I want to say. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a big fan of your show. And, and you know what? It's it's the thing that I was just saying when I was I was ranting on about about um, brands being human is that you approach branding from a human perspective. And it's the way people intersect with brands and the, the emotions that are created on both sides. That's something that I care deeply about and I'm passionate about. So I just if somebody's listening to this and if they take one thing away, it's like, make your brand human, like give it things like the ability to trust your customers and gender trust from people. But no, that's it. Thank you very much for having me on. I will say thank you so much. This has been a really, really fun conversation for me. And for the audience, I will have links in the show notes for Stace's agency, Trusty Brand Consulting, and you can find him online at all those places as well. Thank you very much. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If this was something you found beneficial, leaving an honest five-star review on platforms like Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this right now is the best way for you to support me. It helps other people find the show, other people get the same benefit that you just enjoyed, and ultimately spreads goodwill all around. And like we were talking about in the episode, caring is important. So if you care about content like this, please go ahead and leave a review. And if the content lab is something that does sound intriguing to you, I would love for you to join the waitlist. It'll add you to a short email nurture sequence where you'll find out a little bit more about what we'll be doing in content lab and how it can help your online service business. See you guys next week.